What was the explanation for the fair catch or non-fair catch in the Alabama game? Any reason for concern about the lack of second-half adjustments for Tennessee? Those questions, a whole lot more. We're going to look back at the Alabama game, but answer your questions. A Twitter Tuesday mailbag edition of the show happening right now. You are Locked On Balls, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, good Tuesday morning, everybody. Welcome to Locked On Balls. It is your team every single day. This episode is brought to you in part by Price Picks. PricePicks.com slash Locked On College. Use the promo code Locked On College for a first deposit match up to $100. That's Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy. I'm your host, Eric Kane. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at underscore Kaner. I guess we really do need to start transitioning it. Uh, to X because that is what the rebranded name is. You can find me on X at underscore Kaner and at Locked On Vols. Couldn't do this show without you guys. Shout out every dayers, every damn dayers, uh, as always. Appreciate you guys. All right. If you're new to the show, give that subscribe button on YouTube and uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. Best of Josh Heupel, Monday press conference. What did he say? Plus, so many of your questions, your comments, and your concerns. We'll, we'll do that in segments two and three. But first, what did Josh Heupel have to say in his Monday press conference? Well, uh, for starters, I, I do want to um, kind of play the clip whenever he was asked to elaborate on the fair catch or lack thereof. Of course, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, just inside the second half, Alabama goes and scores on two plays. They go to kick the the ensuing uh, you know kick for Tennessee to take over you know on, on offense, and Tennessee returns it to like the 23 or whatever but has to start at the four because there was a whistle and a flag that somebody you know, called a fair catch, and there was a lot of confusion. So uh, any clarification? What did Josh Heupel have to say about that on Monday? Yeah, uh, I mean, letter of the law, uh, anybody puts their hand up above the shoulder, um, that would signify a, a fair catch. We had a frontline guy that put his pointer finger up uh, slightly above his shoulder. Is, is he coached to do that just to say that? No, he, he's not coached to do that, no. And during the game, they said 22, and I thought that that couldn't have been right because that's Jeremiah T. Leonard. He's on the front line. Um, but, you know, calling calling a retired official over the weekend, asked for some clarification, who still spots and grades officials. And he said that, you know, according to the rule, yes, the rule book says that if there um, is a fair catch made, and even if that person does not is not the one catching the ball, and you return it, it's spotted right where you catch the football. So, um and Josh Hopple saying, letter of the law, if you know, your hand goes above your head or whatever. And somebody went and screen, screen grabbed it and shared it on social media. Uh, T. Lander does do that. Now, is he calling for a fair catch? Absolutely not. He is not calling for a fair catch. And how in the world, if you're an official, do you see that? That's what I want to know when you're trying to look and catch everything else. I, I don't quite understand that. But um, that's what Josh Hopple kind of said about that specific play. One of many plays or penalties or you know, official rulings that did not go Tennessee's way. I've talked, I'll get into more about this in segments two and three. I've talked more about officiating on, on, on a Monday afternoon than I care to. Uh, fact of the matter is officials were horrible in that game. Tennessee was flagged eight times. It's not the end of the world. Alabama was flagged one time. Um, sure, it, it can affect the ebbs and flows of the game, but it's in my opinion that, um, you know, you, you get shut out in the second half. You don't go crying refs and saying that you lost only because the refs. Uh, this, that's not what I'm about, and I'm not going to do that here on this show. Uh, but anyway, um, absolutely, the refs were bad. They need to be held accountable. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. But uh, the fair catch, it, it, was, it was a detriment point of this football game. Uh, Tennessee had to start at the four, ran it three times, punted away. I mean, it was bad. 
Um, and, and that was directly, you know, by the, by the referees, but, um, you know, Tennessee technically, as Josh Heupel said, by letter of the law committed the foul. And so, uh, I wanted to get some clarification on that from Josh Heupel and play it here. A couple of bad quarters for Tennessee. Um, and Josh Heupel was asked about that. Now, the, the quarters that have doomed Tennessee this season, two losses, two quarters. Second quarter against Florida, Tennessee was outscored 20 to nothing. Tennessee was outgained 122 yards to 27. Tennessee was outpassed or passing yards. Florida had 72. Tennessee had three. Florida had eight first downs. Tennessee had one first down. Florida ran 21 plays. Tennessee ran 11 plays. That was in the second quarter against Florida where all heck broke loose. The third quarter against Alabama. Alabama outscored Tennessee 17 to nothing. Um, Alabama outgained Tennessee 171 yards to 47. Um, passing yards through the air, 22 yards for Tennessee, 103 yards for Alabama. First down, seven for Alabama, one for Tennessee. And total plays, that's not that big of a difference. 14 plays for Alabama, 12 plays for Tennessee. Fact of the matter is, one quarter has gotten you beat in in, in both of your losses. And you know, Josh Hopp was asked about that on Monday, and he said, well, you got to find a way around it, but welcome to the SEC. And welcome to college football, right? Uh, you got to be on the right side of it. You got to find a way to... Uh to be uh, to make the plays that make the difference, and and uh, also understand that this game's not going to be perfect. Uh, we we see really good players and coaches on the other side of it too. Um, you know, I, I talked about earlier just you know I, that I like this team because they invest, they prepare, they play hard. Um, we got to be a little bit sharper. And um, you know, in, in the first ball game, I didn't think we reset. In this one, just you know some. Unique things happened, and and uh, we didn't get going on the on the right side of it. But um, we got to cut it clean, and we got to move forward in this one too. Man, I was really close. I said, "Welcome to the SEC." He said, "Welcome to college football." Anyway, um, it's like quicksand. Anybody seen the replacements? One of my favorite movies of all time. Um, one thing bad happens, then another, then another, and then it's like you can't breathe. Uh, you know. Um, it's what it's felt like in some of those quarters, you know, when Tennessee's lost this year. And you got to find a way to snap and clear and move on, just like Tennessee's got to snap and clear and move on to Kentucky this week. A couple more I want to get into. Uh, Joe Milton played his best game, as I said yesterday, in my opinion, in a Tennessee uniform. Um, you know, going back on the rewatch and everything, sure, he wasn't as sharp in the second half. He also wasn't as bad in the second half as a lot of people, even myself earlier in the week, uh, kind of said. Um, There's a lot of things why Tennessee was horrible in the second half, but. You get this type of Joe Milton, you're gonna win. A, you're gonna win your more football games, and you're gonna lose. What did Josh Heupel think about Joe Milton, his performance at Alabama? I thought he continued to compete, continued to fight throughout the course of the ball game. Really good decision making uh, for a majority of the football game. Uh, was accurate with the football. Um, you know, I thought he made uh, plays with his feet. Um, some of that was in quarterback run game. Some design, some not. Some of it was him scrambling around making some plays. So um, there were some positive signs. Now looking towards Kentucky, and, and we'll break down this game, of course, from every angle as time goes on this week, but Ray Davis, the guy that you need to watch out for, running back, transfer from Vanderbilt, second in the SEC with 781 yards, leading the SEC in total touchdowns, 13, eight rushing, five receiving, averaging over 111 yards on the year, 7.0 yards per carry. He had 280 rushing yards against Florida a couple weeks ago. Stopping him is going to be of great importance. How much? Well, Josh Heupel was asked that on Monday. I, well, you got to stop them early uh, at the line of scrimmage. Um, but uh, their offensive line, their tight ends, um, they're extremely physical. They do a really good job getting a hat on a hat. Uh, we got to be violent. We got to be disruptive. You got to have uh, gap integrity um, between all their different personnel groupings, uh, their shifts, their motions. We got to do a great job communicating and uh, 
and being, you know, gapped out. And at the, the end of the day, when, uh, when you meet the ball carrier, you got to do a great job of tackling him, too. Uh, he's extremely physical. And then the last clip I want to play you guys is um, I ask I ask him about the defense. It's a defense um, that so far this season, 27 points per game, 346 yards of total defense, um, you know, allowing some yards through the air, 251, really good on the ground, 95 yards rushing allowed on average per game. It's got 16 sacks. It's created 11 turnovers. Um, you know, how, how critical will it be or how challenging will it be against this defense? And then specifically, and he'll, he'll mention this at the front of the clip, there's a cornerback for Kentucky named Maxwell Harrison. He's tied for the team lead with 44 tackles and uh, five interceptions. Five interceptions. What makes him go? What makes this defense for Kentucky go? Yeah, a young corner that uh, has been opportunistic, made plays when, uh, when it's been up in the air. Uh, he's gone and got it and, and um, does a really nice job as a, as a young player. Uh, they're front, big, strong, physical. Um, they do a really good job of, of getting off of blocks, but their second level and third level fits are, are on point. And um, so even if you block it clean inside, you know, the extra hat's showing up quickly on you. Uh, they've done, done a really good job of, of tackling that guy in space. Um, we got to be extremely good up front. Um, that's the five guys. It's the tight ends. And uh, we're going to have to run with the physical edge in this one. Yeah, and we'll continue to break down Tennessee and Kentucky, preview Tennessee and Kentucky all week long. But as I do every single Tuesday before we get into your mailbag questions, I do want to bring on some of the best from Josh Heupel from his Monday press conference. All right, when we come back, we'll get into those mailbag questions. But first, a shout-out to LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you've got to try LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. I say it all the time, but we have always posted our, we've all done this, everybody watching us, most most part, we've all posted our resume online for hopes of gaining a better job for our career and for our life. Maybe you've reached that point, you're a small business owner and you need help, someone you can trust, but also someone that's qualified. Where can you find those people? Well, post your job at LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com slash jobs. And simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you like to interview and then ultimately hire. It's why small businesses rank LinkedIn jobs number one and delivering quality hires versus its leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster and for free. Post your job for free. It's at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. Post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. All right, guys and gals, welcome back to a Tuesday edition of Locked On Balls. As we do every single Tuesday, it's when you guys, you everydayers, get to take over the show. At underscore Kane or at Locked On Balls, I'm your host, Eric Kane. You can send in your questions, comments, concerns, and we bring them on the show every Tuesday. So that being said, let's go ahead and start. Fake Post Malone says, do we see Nico versus UConn? You better freaking hope so. Of course, I said Nico should get a half against Austin P, and we saw what happened there. So, 100%. Also, yeah, I said Nico should have played a half against UTSA. We saw what happened there. 100%. You better be seeing Nico play some in the second half when it's a blowout. 100%. Let's go to D. Siller. Um, do you have any concerns about Tennessee's coaches? Uh, the lack of halftime adjustments. It seems like the best coaching staffs make adjustments based on how their players are playing, the other team, and how the respective schemes are matching up. Tennessee seems not to, in my opinion. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Alabama came out, made second half adjustments, couldn't do anything through the air for the most part in the first half, came out guns blazing and 
and was moving the football, you know, rapidly. Jalen Milrow had a really strong second half. So obviously there were some adjustments there. Even in the run game, I think they did more lateral, not necessarily zone concepts, but uh, they were going, you know, more more to a zone type ish run instead of just coming straight on and trying to go man on man, hat on a hat. So and it feels like Tennessee didn't really um Tennessee didn't really adjust to that very well. So I mean, there was that, um, you know, Alabama's defense clamped down in the second half, made some halftime adjustments for sure. There was no separation for Tennessee's wide receivers. I mean, we can go on and on and on. Um, but yes, you know, coaches, you know, make their money on making halftime adjustments. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of games that Josh Hobbs won here at Tennessee where he's made really good second half adjustments. I do not think that that was the case on Saturday. And, um, you know, that's the easy black and white answer too. You know, if you lose a game, well, team didn't make second half adjustments, but, um, I think it was pretty evident because it was two separate. It was two separate football teams, um, you know, in, in Alabama on on Saturday. So that's just kind of my opinion. Uh, let's go and Adam kind of kind of on that note. He says I feel like Tennessee was greatly outcoached in the second half Saturday and the entire game at the swamp. I feel like we were outcoached in some wins like Austin P. Our offensive game plan changed in the second half for apparently no reason. As hype as hypo ultimately responsible. Well, I mean he's the head coach, right? Um, I know there's going to be some questions about play calling as well. I'm not sure which one calls plays. Like, I mean, I would assume that Hypel's calling the plays here. Um, you know, he he's the head coach. This is his offense. You got a first year coordinator, so I would assume that Hypel calls the plays. But I mean, I, I can't say that with 100% certainty. But um, it is Josh Hypel. He is the head football coach, and so ultimately, you're right. Yes, it does fall on him. Um, in the swamp, I thought defensively, Tim Banks was too married to his concept. He was too late to adjust when things were going horribly wrong in the second half. And I think that's one of the reasons that Tennessee defense had such a strong, such a horrible day, or really a quarter like we were talking about down there in the swamp. I thought Austin Pease coaches coached really well. And I'm with you there. Austin Pease coaches, I thought, did a really, really good job at Neyland Stadium that day. Um, so, you know, I, ultimately, again, like I, like I was saying on the question before, Alabama made second half adjustments. Tennessee did not. Tennessee did not respond well to those adjustments, and you, you, you kind of saw what happened. Let's go to Aaron underscore Hurd. After seeing Milton play his best game of the season so far at Alabama, when will we admit that it's play calling that's hurting us more than anything? Again, these have kind of all run together. Joe went 16 to 22, 175 yards, two touchdowns in the first half, yet we come out overly committed to the run game in the second. Is Joey Halsley the issue? Uh, again, I don't know who calls plays on every single down and distance and all that. Um, I mean, I think situation as well has something to do with it. Like that fair catch thing that we were talking about earlier. I mean, you're, you're at the four yard line. Tennessee ran the ball three times and punted away. That changed the entire drive sequence, right? Um, you know, instead of being second and two, second and three, or third and two, third and three, you're now second and nine, second and 10, third and seven, third and eight. Um, you know, Tennessee didn't have a lot of success moving the football in the second half. You weren't getting that first, first down. And so I think that affects a lot of things. Um, so I'm not ready to say that it's play calling that's hurting you more than anything. I think it's a contributing factor to a little bit of everything, but, uh, Joe Milton definitely played well. You want to see consistency though, from that, just because Joe Milton put up a big old stat line in one half doesn't mean he's arrived. And so again, I think that's important as much as I'm hopping him up too, after that, you know, it was great to see you need to find some consistency for sure. Uh, let's go to Jared. Jared said, why don't we try to fake punt with Jackson Ross if he's so fast? I don't know if he's fast or not. I know he was a former um, you know, Aussie football player, so uh, you know, professional um, Australian football player, so I, I know he's a good athlete, but I, I don't know how fast he is. He's punting it well, but there were more moments in that game where nobody was around to stop him with an open field ahead, yet he just 
Let's see here. My computer just blinked. Yeah, he just went to punt. Would you be changing uh, some of our drives if he could do this? Agree. I am surprised to this point we haven't seen anything with him. Now, you know, maybe you're just waiting for that right moment. Um, I do think that he's capable of doing that. And when you roll out on a rugby-style punt, you're right. I mean, if no one's around, you're opening the door to where you could just take it and run. We've seen it a couple of times in college football. So um, he's punting the ball so well right now. It's another reason why I was kind of head-scratching why you went for it on fourth down like you did in that football game when your punter is doing just incredible work. Um, so, you know, we'll uh, we'll see. But I'm surprised we haven't seen a fake yet, but I'm sure at some point with Jackson Ross as your punter, you will see a fake punt, whether that's this year, next year, year after that, I believe it will happen. All right, let's go to the Vol Bros. Is this the first time in the history of college football that an up back pointing at the ball on kickoff has ruled a fair catch? Again, I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. Um, it wasn't just an up back. I mean, it was literally a guy on the front line. It's a guy on the front line. I mean, there's screen grab. I saw it. Um, I didn't see it in real time. I didn't see it on the replay. That's why I was so confused after the game and a little bit on Sunday. Uh, but, I mean, he is pointing. I mean, I can see it. Now, what is he pointing at? I guess the ball. He's obviously not calling a fair catch. Again, if you're an official, I don't know how you see that. Like, for as many things as you're looking for, like, why on earth are you – I'm not I'm not a conspiracy theory here. I'm not just – I know a lot of people wish I was, but I'm not saying they were specifically looking for that. But, I mean, it's like, what are you doing? Like, how do you see that? Uh, maybe they were tipped off. Maybe they were. I don't know. But um, – it's really, really weird. Really weird. So maybe might have happened before. It seems like there's officiating blunders all across the country this season. Uh, let's see here. James and Eric both, or no, Eric Kane's segment two. Um, Phil, uh, both of these guys want to know about officiating. What measures is the SEC NCAA doing taking regarding to officiating? The integrity of the game is at stake. Uh, it scores the board, not just Tennessee. We need to f we, we need face guarding for PI and challenges for plate and penalties on scoring plays. I'm done if nothing changes. I encourage you not to be done. Football is beautiful. You only get 12 Saturdays guaranteed a year. I encourage you, no matter what, to, to not be done because football is gorgeous. Um, what steps are being taken regarding officiating? Again, I've answered this a couple of times um, over the days. To the best of my knowledge, I mean, th these coaches, they send in plays every single week. Uh, plays they don't agree with, plays that they were flagged for they don't agree with, plays that they were there was not a penalty where there should have been a penalty. And they say, yo, we have an issue with this play, this play, this play. And then you grade those officials. And every officiating crew, every official gets graded, and uh, so on and so forth. Now, there's never going to be accountability. No one's ever going to get up on a podium and say, yeah, we missed that one, we missed that one. I think there should. Coaches and players get held accountable from people like me. I think 100% you should have accountability and be held accountable. Um you know, referees are not, you know, they're, they're human. You're going to make mistakes. You're never going to call a perfect game. Um, but there needs to be some accountability there. I 100% agree. So, guys, I, I wish I had a better answer for you. I really do. But in terms of what's going to change right now, nothing. Now, in, in terms of the fair catch thing, like maybe that's a point of emphasis this offseason where you say, all right, let's go back and talk about this. You know, what can we do to where, I mean, obviously a guy on the front line is not going to call a fair catch. So let's use some common sense here. I don't know. Um, if if enough, enough of these types of plays get turned in, maybe they look at the rules committee in the offseason to change something. But as far as the short term, as far as right now, I mean, nothing. No one's going to get up there and answer questions. We don't get to ask Greg, Greg Sankey questions. Um, it just kind of is what it is, and it's unfortunate, but it's a part of the football game, and it's been a part of the football game for 
a long, long time. Hey, when we come back, we'll continue to get into your questions, your comments, your concerns, all that and more. It's right here on Lockdown Balls. We'll see about our friends' prize picks. Uh, prize picks is awesome. It's the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. Easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. That's daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of batting, battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more or less than two of the six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Again, I'm having so much fun right now, winning up to two, 25 times my money back this football season. You just select two or more players. Pick more or less. They're going to give you a total. They're going to give you a projection. You just say, I think this player will do more than that, or I think this player will do less than that. And you can do that for two to five players that fill up your board, and you can win 25 times your money this football season by doing that. It's so much fun. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and enormous selection of players and sports as well. Stat types, it's all available at Price Picks, making it the number one daily fantasy sports out there. I encourage you today to go to pricepicks.com slash college. Use that promo code LockedOnCollege for our first deposit match up to $100. One more time, go to pricepicks.com slash college. Use the promo code LockedOnCollege for a for a deposit match up to $100, that's at Price Picks. Moving right along here on a Tuesday edition of Locked On Vols. Can't thank you enough for being here. Can't thank you enough for sending in these questions, making this show uh, one of the best on the channel, one of the best in the network. It's all because of you guys here at Locked On Vols, Twitter, to X Tuesday, X Tuesday, uh, making it what it is every day. All right, let's go back into it. Got a couple more here before we call it quits. Josh Ward Wednesday coming up tomorrow, plus pro football focus stats that matter from the Tennessee-Alabama game. Jacob says, do you think the Georgia game is still the most difficult game left on the schedule, or could this Kentucky game or Missouri game on the road prove to be more difficult? Thanks for what you do. Thank you for listening. Um, I see where you're coming with that because, of course, Georgia's at home, the other two on the road. I do not think Georgia is all worldly like it has been the past two seasons. Um, as of right now, I, stu- I still believe Georgia to be the best team in the conference, even without Brock Bauer. So to answer your question, I would say yes, because I think Georgia is from a talent perspective, you know, stacks on stacks on stacks, recruiting classes, recruiting classes, um, good football team. And I also see where you're coming from because the road woes. You know, Tennessee is trying to avoid – gosh, I got it in my notes here. Anyway, since last November, Tennessee has just been – Really bad on the road. Again, we know Athens, Georgia, Columbia, South Carolina. We know the Swamp this year. And, of course, we know Tuscaloosa. You know, only Tennessee has lost four of its last five true road games. The one win at Vanderbilt at the end of 2022 season. So, um, and Kentucky's not going to be a cakewalk. Missouri, looking like a good football team. Excited to see what Missouri looks like against Georgia this weekend. Uh, But long story short, again, to answer your question, I would say Georgia is still the toughest game remaining on the schedule because I still think Georgia is the best football team. Uh, despite Tennessee having some issues on the road, for sure. Uh, let's go to Allen here. Allen says, <laughs> why, in all capital letters, God, that game hurt. No question, just pain. I feel your brother. I get it. It's frustrating. I continue to go back to just the way Tennessee was controlling that game in the first half with a, a, a two-score lead. It's just frustrating at the end of the day. It's frustrating the way he got outscored in the second half. Frustrating the way the officials, you know, had the game. It's frustrating some of the coaches' decisions. The frustrating the lack of execution. It is just frustrating. So, he's Allen says, "God, that game hurt. No question, just pain." Well, you're not alone, brother. You're not alone. Let's go to uh, Big Shot Rob forty four. Um, 
Let's see here. He said last week, he said, just listen to the game day pod. This is, I guess, from VolQuest. Just want to say Bama's offense ain't look good, but you know this is about to be the best game of the year, right? It's the Tennessee way. Haha, ha, they going to click today simply because it's us. Talking about the offense and the quarterback. And then he says, Kentucky prediction kind of came through, right? Man, uh, that that one's that one's on hype, bro. Well, Josh Hopple definitely deserves some of the some of the blame for sure. Let's go to Jr. This is during the game. This game is pathetic. Did Hypel even make adjustments at halftime? Yeah, we were talking about that a moment ago. It surely, surely didn't look like it. Let's go to Banks. Has anyone asked Josh why we never attack the middle of the field? Good question. I'll, I'll, I'll pull up some notes for this. I think I know it's because of Joe, but he seemed better in that uh, in the Orange Bowl and in mop-up duties last year. Um. I don't have the numbers on last year. Certainly, I remember two of his touchdown passes in the Orange Bowl were over the middle, one to Squirrel, one to Brew, in the back of the end zone on slants. Then the other one was Dermel Keaton down the sideline. Mop-up duty, I can remember a couple of ones last year that he hit over the middle. Squirrel White, Missouri comes to mind. Dermel Keaton, a couple of those others come to mind. Um, and against Alabama, just throwing the ball deep down the field, uh, was good. Of course, you had the squirrel white catch that was uh, that was really really incredible. Now, over the field, I went and looked at his numbers for this year. So deep passes over the middle of the field. I know you didn't spe- specify deep passes, but over the middle of the field, he is four of 19, 20 yards down the field, one touchdown, three interceptions. Now ten to twenty yards over the middle of the field, he is six of seventeen for a touchdown. 74 yards. That's it. So in all, Joe Milton is 10 of, gosh, math, math, 10 of 36 for math, 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 about 210-ish yards over the middle of the field this season. It's just, it's not, it's not world-beating numbers, Where, but he has attempted more passes over the middle on balls past, um, past a lot of scrimmage. I mean, within 10 yards, he's 29 of 37 on passes over the middle. So they're more than you think. We just all think of outside shots, outside shots, screens, 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 and all that. But his throws over the middle, at least past a lot of scrimmage, are more than those to the side. But the numbers are not the, not that great. Again, 10 of 36 for passes over the middle uh, beyond 10 yards. So that's just, again, it's just not, it's not a number that's really working in Joe's favor so far this year. Uh, good question, Banks. Let's go to Boggs. Boggs says, okay. Um, as a former Joe Milton stand, I am backing off. Even though I thought he played well in the first half, his stats were great. Uh, he did throw to mostly wide-open receivers, though. Great throw to Squirrel. Um, then misses a wide-open Warren. The difference between Joe and Hendon is that Joe could not provide a second-half spark that we needed. It's hard to even say I'm ready for Nico because I believe we still have a lot to play for. But we need some consistency and some big playability. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with almost all that, man. I, I 100% agree. Um, he was good on Saturday. He was great in the first half. His throw to squirrel was great. I think the receivers did a great job of getting behind the defensive backs, creating some separation, something that was not there in the second half. Um, your point about Warren, yes. Man, in real time, I'm like, go catch that football. I knew it was high. And I watched the replay. I'm like, okay, yes, it was a high ball. It'd be good to see Warren find another level, like get up there and make that catch. But uh, again, again, it was a high ball, high ball. He did he did a good job of getting open. Got to make the throw. You missed that one. Um, but um, I thought he played really well on Saturday. And, and your point about Hendon, where Hendon can create a spark, you're you're 100 spot on in my opinion. To this point, we haven't seen that from Joe Milton. 
Um, he can play great and everything, but like you know, my point, like I think I said this on yesterday's show, like in the second half when nothing was going well, like you'd like a quarterback that can like spark something, and and Joe Milton has not shown the ability to do that just yet. So I think a lot of what you said is spot on. Um, there's a lot to play for. Tennessee can easily win nine games, in my opinion, this year. Easily win nine games. Um, you know, Tennessee can win can win out. I mean, Tennessee's good enough to beat every team on the schedule, in my opinion. Just you can't take the second half off like you did on the road. You got to win on the road <laughs> in order to do that, like you did on Saturday. Um, all right, let's see here. All right, let's go to Trevor, and then we'll get a couple more, and we'll call it quits. Trevor says, um. For my question, which game is most important? Bouncing back this week versus Kentucky, winning on the road versus Missouri, upsetting number one Georgia. It feels like Kentucky, Missouri are must wins to feel good about this season once it's over. I agree with that last part. Um, to feel good about this season when it's over, yeah, go go on the road and win against some competent teams that can beat you if you don't play well. Um, sure, you lost to Florida. That's disappointing. Sure, you gave one away in Alabama. That's disappointing. Georgia game, we'll see what happens. Uh, go win on the road, uh, for sure. Uh, very coach speak of me, but it just is what it is. I mean, until Tennessee wins on the road, it's the next game, especially the next road game. And, well, those coincide, and that's at Kentucky this week. So uh, coach speak Kane here. <laughs> um, it's Kentucky because it's the next game, but also because it's on the road, and you've got to prove that you can win on the road. But toughest opponent, the one that everybody's going to be juiced up for, of course, you know that is going to be uh, Georgia at Neyland Stadium. A couple more left, and uh, again, then we're going to call it quits. Let's go to my guy, Bruce. A little tired of hearing coaches say they have to be better. What does that mean? They never elaborate. They just say they have to be better. Sounds like a cop-out. I would really like to know what they want to be better at. Is it a game management? Is it play calling? Be aware that your offense doesn't make fourth downs conversions this year. I think it's a little bit of all the above, right? I mean, sure, coaches... A lot of the times, I think when they want to rip players to the media, <laughs> of course, you know the good coaches don't do that, um, and they just say, "I got to be better. I got to be better." Sometimes that is a cop out, but I think for the, you know, the list you just kind of laid out there, play calls got to be better. Um, fourth down decisions, points and times, especially, you know, on the road at Alabama when you're on your own side of the field, that's got to be a little bit better. Um, you know, stuff like that. So I would say it's a little bit of all of the above. Let's go to Hunter. Hunter says, please explain to me the kickoff where D. Williams puts his hands to the side and they call it down to the spot. Okay, yeah, we talked about that earlier. That's the spot. We played the clip in the first half. It was Jeremiah T. Lander on the front line that was essentially pointing at the football for a minute. He was obviously not calling a fair catch, uh, but we heard the audio from Heupel. He says, letter of the law. Technically, that's correct. Uh, it's just frustrating. I don't know how you see that. Um, and let's go to Eric. Eric says... Twitter Tuesday, we'll end on this one. Although it doesn't matter, I noticed Cam Seldon absolutely trucked an Alabama player on that kickoff on Saturday. Do you know or do you think they would ever use him in short yardage situations with uh, with the obvious struggles? They need to try something, man. I mean, that's honestly not the, by the way, strong name, Eric, strong name. That's obviously not the worst issue in the world or worst, worst thing to think about. I mean, my, my, my go-to would be, oh, no, he's a freshman. He hasn't had a role in offense all year, just not this year. And I still think that. But, I mean, Tennessee is so bad on fourth downs. Tennessee is one of six on the year on fourth and two or shorter. Okay? Um, obviously, just running up the middle is just not working. I think you got to be more creative in your play calls. Maybe that's what they were trying to do with that first one. It looked like they were trying to set up the Utah pass, but something went wrong. Um, maybe Cam Seldon, a bigger, more physical back. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Um 
They need to try something. I would be open to it. I would be open to anything. You know, I would really be open to anything. If you go to Cam Seldon and say, hey, man, I know you're learning the offense. I know you're you're still trying to adjust to the speed of the game and everything, yada, yada, yada. But this is the one thing I want you to focus on for the next you know, six weeks or whatever, how many games are left. The one thing I want you to focus on is getting the football and, and putting your head down, not, not to get hurt, but putting your shoulders down. Good pad level. There you go. Getting good pad level and going to get that, fourth, that first down on third and fourth and short. I'd be for it. I'm not saying that'll happen. I don't think that'll happen. But Eric, I, I mean, might as well try something, right? Because what you're doing now is not working. That's going to do it here for this edition of Locked on Vols. Twitter Tuesday, X Tuesday. Thanks to you guys. Shout out every dayers. Couldn't do it without you. Again, we'll have Josh Ward Wednesday. We'll go to the stats that matter from Pro Football Focus. All that and more. That is coming up on a Wednesday show. Thank you guys so much. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, and we'll be back at it tomorrow.